Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Welcome to episode 45 of Just Shoot It, the podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have two filmmakers, Carlo and Mark, who had a really popular show on YouTube called The Most Popular Girls in School. They're the founders of Extra Credit Studios, and they've got a show on full screen right now called Dr. Havoc. This is a great episode. They founded their own studio. They taught themselves how to animate. They are the living embodiment of just shooting it, and it's a really awesome episode. So we'll actually make this a two-parter because it's so good. There's so much to check out. So stay tuned for part one with Mark and Carlo. Hey, guys. We have Mark and Carlo here. Hey. Hey. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. So you guys just had a show that you did with New Form Digital, which Matt and I have both worked with in the past. Right. That was for full screen. Yep. And it was a stop motion show. Yeah, it was a stop motion show called Dr. Havoc's Diary, which is rolling out currently. I don't know when this is coming out, but it's going to be rolling out until the end of September, I think, on full screen. Cool. And it's kind of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm meets Archer. We get to watch an international supervillain go through a midlife crisis. It yeah. did feel very archerish, like in a good way. Yeah, yeah, it def- yeah. It definitely takes hints from that kind of like making fun of the genre that we all know so familiarly, and then putting wacky characters in it. Right. And so, how did you guys get into animation and filmmaking? Did you guys go to film school, or what's your story? I mean, with in terms of getting into animation, we fell ass backwards into it. Yeah, uh, we started with what ended up becoming a YouTube series called The Most Popular Girls in School that started as an improv scene. I've landed on this scene in a rehearsal about three bitchy girls in a high school bathroom arguing over who was more popular. Wrote it down as a sketch and ended up putting up putting it up live at I.O. And Mark was in the audience that night and we had worked on a couple of things previous to that, had mutual friends. He comes up to me afterwards and says... That was a really funny sketch. What would you think about doing it with dolls? Yeah, basically, I had been working as an editor for documentaries um, mostly, and then like at night, I would moonlight as like the house videographer for all the sketch groups at like IO and Second City. I was just making lots of sketch videos nonstop, and I wanted to make an animated short because 
I real none of the videos we were making got any traction or any attention. They were very funny, but when you do live action, especially in like the YouTube world, everything's got to be pretty spot on for it to get attention. It's got to look really good. It's got to be sound really good. The actors got to be really good. And that's like a lot of elements that are tough to get right. But in animation, it doesn't have to look that good. And if it's an animated mm-hmm. video, it just has to be very funny. Yeah, and there's a charm to it having like rough edges. Exactly. They'll yeah. give you a pass, especially yeah. if it's funny. And so I was like, I know we can be funny. So I just I was trying to think of an idea, and I knew I couldn't draw. I couldn't do computer graphics. So stop motion's the most like live-action filmmaking in that you have a practical camera and practical objects. And so when I saw Carlos' sketch, I was like, that'd be so funny if it was like these Barbie dolls cursing. And like the way I never heard characters talk the way he had had them written. And uh, yeah, we made this stupid little two and a half minute long video, and it was ended up being episode one. It's really bad. Mark was, Mark liked it so much that he he came to me afterwards. He spent like three months teaching himself stop motion. Has a finished product, comes to me and he's like, "Oh man, uh, this I, I fucked up. I fucked up. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, I'm gonna throw everything away. Uh, I hated it so much. I literally gave him a copy uh, of the video and then deleted all the files." Oh, and man. It was like, yeah. it was taking up time, ruined my hard drive. I was like, this is a and failure. And he's like, don't empty your trash can. <laughs> yeah. And I said, YouTube just views had 100,000 yeah. views. <laughs> exactly. It was like, they posted, Carla posted it on his own. It was like, I think it's pretty funny. I'm going to post it online. And it blew up. And I, of course, I kicked myself every day that I lost all those master files because I was like so beat <laughs> Wait, down. you really myself. deleted Oh, I deleted everything. Files. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have some like photos that are just miscellaneous. That's like, one of the dumbest things I've ever. It's a crazy. <laughs> the actual video that's uploaded is a low res video. I don't even have the high res version. You shot it in probably episode. like eleven megapixels or something. Yeah, it's it's and it's, it's like, so unfortunate. It's uh, it could so yeah. So I could have released like a super high end version, but. I was young, and I was like, I fucked this up. It looks like garbage. I had this big idea of like how beautiful it looked, and I just couldn't do it. I literally had to like teach myself stop motion, like just in my buddy's dining room, like week after week, trying to get the pictures to work and match up and stuff. And how long ago was this? This was this was 2011. Yeah, so five years ago. Now. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? Who the fuck are you? I asked you first. I asked you second. Uh, uh, she's Mackenzie Zales, duh, head cheerleader, homecoming queen, part-time model. Oh. Who the fuck are you? I'm Deandra. I'm new. Who the fuck let you in here? Ashley. Ashley who? Ashley Catchadorian. Ashley Catchadorian isn't even in charge of the door. So, Deandra, let me tell you how things work here. I already know how things work around here. Ashley Ketchadorni is in charge of the snacks. Why is she letting people inside of the door? This is my bathroom, this is my school, and this is me telling you that you need to learn your place. Guess what? I already know all those things. Oh, really? Yeah. Jenna Darebond is in charge of the door. What the fuck is she doing letting Ashley catch a door and let people in? Yeah, that took off, and we just were like, oh, that would be really good. Let's do another video. And we did like another episode, another episode, and then now we have... I think 70 episodes the most popular girls yep. in school. I mean, how crazy is it that you saw this sketch and you're like, it would be so much easier to teach myself stop motion and then shoot this thing one frame at a time right. than to do live action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, well, I just, I, I want, I just knew, I had in my head that like so many cartoons that I loved were not very well made. Like, you mm-hmm. know, South Park's obviously notoriously not great, but I used to really love Life and Times of Tim. Mm-hmm. And it's like you watch that show; it's terribly animated. It's almost a joke, and but it's so funny. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, gosh, that is the trick: is like to be able to communicate my sense of humor and not necessarily have to perfect 
all of filmmaking with no money and no professionals. Yeah, yeah. And like, like the thing that we say is what starts out as limitation turns into aesthetic signature. <laughs> right. Of like sure. ev eventually you get enough people to like it, then all of a sudden those limitations of like with us, the mouth's not moving, the character's not walking, all the hand-drawn sets, well, that's our style. Right. It, go right. it goes from, right. well, we didn't know how to animate mouths to now, well, yeah, of, co of course, that's that's what they do is they don't animate the mouths, obviously. So funny. I remember when the Simpsons came out, you know, when I'm in the early nineties or whenever, and my stepdad would always be like, wow, how can you even watch this? It's so badly drawn. Like right. these right. characters look so horrible. And now that's like kind of like classic animation style. They exactly. did look pretty bad back in the day. <laughs> it does. It's funny. You yeah. go back, you're like, wow, yeah. especially like, like the, the Tracy Ullman, the Tracy Ullman stuff. ones. It's like really rough and raw in a way that's cool. Like it's very, but he's kind know. of the guy that was like, Hey, if it's funny and we're exactly. communicating it well, then it doesn't matter. Right. Sure. Like it's exactly yeah. like Carlos saying, it's like, this is my aesthetic. Yeah. You know? And right. the, the super tired analogy that Mark hates that I always use that we like explain to our animators or people coming through our studio is we're making punk rock. You right. don't get any guitar solos here. You don't get to do anything fancy. You get three power chords and that's it. But in that tiny little box, you're going to find greater creative freedom than you had ever before. Right. And that's also how you guys get through finishing all your stuff so right. fast. Exactly. Like we just, we we're probably the only people who are able to do stop motion. Like we did stop motion on YouTube, 70 episodes and I animated 59 of them mm -hmm. all by myself. How long is each episode? Uh, anywhere from about eight to 10 minutes. No way. Yeah. yeah. And you did 70 of those. I did 32 in 32 weeks. I did one episode a week for 32 weeks. Each one was about 10 minutes. And you could, so you did more than a minute a day of stop motion. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. I got to the point where I was able to, and again, when I say I was animating stop motion, it wasn't great animation. It was passing. <laughs> sure. You're like scooting things with one hand and like pulling the trigger yeah, with the other. Yeah, I mean the like, animation's pretty yeah. shot. Is the animation twelve frames a second or twenty four? Twelve frames, yeah. Okay, so for every minute you have six hundred, seven hundred and twenty frames? Uh yeah, probably. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. And I was able to I, I got to the point where I was doing about a minute every two hours, maybe every two and a half, because I my back would start to hurt. <laughs> wow. But like yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it was it was great and I learned a lot. And what was really what ended up being great about it was I learned a lot of tricks about animation that other animators would never have learned simply because they're taught to do it just right. Mm -hmm. To focus. Right. To, I mean, mm -hmm. really stop motion is like the artist's format. For animators, they take it so seriously. All the sets, everything's be so particular. I didn't have to do any of that. I had to do whatever was the minimum required. Mm -hmm. What will be passing to our audience? And so I learned a lot of things that an audience will like and not really worry about or even enjoy that normally you would never do because it's considered shoddy or not good enough. Mm -hmm. Which you know, did you use that Dragon software? Dragon Frame, yeah. So you, I started using that after season two. I finally realized, oh, there's software <laughs> that you could wait, wait, use. But you weren't you, you weren't using software. You were I did, just like I did the entire first two it? seasons in camera. Yeah, and that's how, hardcore. How yeah. would you review your shots? You would just scroll back and forth. Basically, what I would do, and this was part of the benefit of not doing lip sync, 
was I would shoot it as best as I could and mm-hmm. I would be completely wrong. And then I'd take it into Premiere or a Final Cut at the time. And I would literally just, if I needed, if a, this movement came too early, I would just hold the frame and drag right, it out. Right. But because there's no lip sync, you don't really notice someone standing still because they stand still a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. So it became a thing of I just learned to drag frames so I could correct my mistakes. Right, right. The and s- then the speed rate tool or whatever rate. Yeah, I, I would literally just put like hold frames in. Like I would literally just hold the frame and drag it across. And so, and, and then I took that into my later animation. I had Dragon Frame, which allowed me to literally watch the video go on to the audio so I could time it out. Mm-hmm. I would still drag frames and stuff and learn to do it that way because it's just how I learned to do it. Sorry to get into the weed so so soon, but I'm really curious about all this stuff. So do you guys edit, find all the timing and everything in audio before you start animating? Yeah. The whole, like the most of the actual directing of, let's say, the actor's performance, we do an audio edit first. So the whole episode is edited like a radio play. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first pass that Carla does. We record all the takes, you know, all the actors, and we do some improvising, a bunch of stuff. And then Carlo takes all that audio and does basically a rough pass of the episode and then I do a fine pass of the audio and then to that we start laying on basically the storyboards and uh, that's what the animators work off of. Right. And Carlo, do you write as well? Yeah. Mark and I, everything that we do, we write together. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So how involved are you in the animation? In the, in the animation, very little. The, <laughs> Ooh, lucky. Yeah, exactly. Good move, man. Uh, Mark kind of like, especially now, Mark largely oversees the animators for our last show, Dr. Havoc. I oversaw all the puppets and everything. So, you know, making sure that all that stuff was set on stage and making sure everybody was dressed. And then depending on what the project is, whoever kind of has the lighter load in terms of vocal vocal performance will become the de facto vocal director. Mm, so right. so like with the most popular girls, I do like five or six voices. So Mark is usually heading up the vocal direction there. On Dr. Havoc, Mark played the lead, Dr. Havoc. So I was kind of overseeing the vocal direction on that. Yeah, exactly. So, and you have, do you have an acting background, Carla? Yeah. Uh, I got my degree in experimental theater. Oh, cool. So oh. yeah. So, so you, puppets are familiar to you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Close to it. Close to where, it. Where like, did you go to school? Uh, Westmont in Santa Barbara, which oh, okay. is a very small school that just so happens to have a crazy experimental theater department. Interesting. Because Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara has like a weird experimental film program too, right? Yeah. It's very hippy-dippy in Santa Barbara. Exactly. But yeah, Yeah. so my background was all acting and then I didn't start writing until like right after college when I started doing sketch and I fell in with the sketch group and they were like, obviously we write all of our own stuff. And I was like, Ooh, I guess I should probably learn how to do that. And then slowly, but surely fell much more in love with the writing process than with the acting process, because I got kind of tired of waiting for people to give me permission to do the thing that I loved. So are you, do you still act outside of your own project? Not really outside of our own stuff. No, like it's like with our own stuff, like we're usually jumping in and doing voices wherever. But other than that, like, the writing is where my heart is. Cool. And what's your background? So Mark? beautiful. So beautiful, right? It's where my heart is, Mark. Uh, my background, basically, I from I from high school, I wanted to be like a filmmaker. I wanted to kind of be a director, maybe a writer. So I went to film school at Northridge. I was in that school, and then I had already. I think they were ranked top 
10 in a recent yeah, list. Yeah, I, saw, I yeah. saw that list too. They yeah, had yeah. a good program. They had a, I yeah, mean, I program. think any school that's that close to LA is going to have a pretty good program because they're going to have some sort of alumni or something. But it was a good it was a good program. I was only there for a little bit because basically I had taken a film class in high school that was actually incredibly comprehensive and really helped me a lot. And then I'd gotten a job as an assistant editor on a documentary. So I was taking all these editing classes and I was just way ahead of them. You have to take like editing 101. It's like, how do you drag a clip into the viewer? And I was like, I went to the dean of the school and I was like, hey, I already, I'm already doing a lot of this stuff and I'm already shooting a lot. I feel like I'm way ahead of my classes and I'm, I already have this job as an assistant editor in this documentary. I was wondering if I could maybe like test out. Could I, I'll take higher classes over and over again, but do I have to keep taking these preliminary one classes? And the dean was really cool. And he was like, I'll be honest with you. If you already have a job, in the film industry, you're going to learn faster than we're going to teach you. And really, the only reason to go to film school is to hopefully get a job in the film industry. Sure. And he's like, and you're already having a job is going to make you more valuable. So this may be a waste of your time. You may want to focus on something else while you're here wow. at the school. That's, that's a pretty public cool, school, folks. Yeah, yeah that's thing. a pretty cool dude. <laughs> it, was yeah. a, it was a great dude because, yeah. yeah, he was – not only was he – I mean – I think I would have learned a little bit more about certain facets. Like, I, I don't know jack about cameras, but I would have learned that kind of stuff. But it was good because it, it did make me go, what else would I study if I was in school? Mm-hmm. And I had a secondary thing. And I decided to become an English major because I wanted to write. Interesting. And I, and I knew yeah. that I, I had learned that most great writers read a lot. And I did not. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'm an English major. I'll have to read. And so that, it worked out because I read a lot in college, which got me really into reading. And then I think, I think I'm a better writer because of it. Um, so that was yeah. kind of what. <laughs> Wait, so you stayed at CSUN. You just changed majors. Yeah, I film. just became a lit major. There's like this, you know, there is kind of that theory that like, especially if you want to be a writer, that you should study not writing so that you have something to write about. Right. You know? So if you want to be a filmmaker, Matt, don't listen to this, but maybe you should not study film <laughs> so that you have something to write to make movies I think movies it's pretty about. solid. That, that's yeah. good advice. Well, if you're the type of person who knows that they're just, you're going to get into it later. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's like, we've had some like PAs and interns that work with us and they're like, oh, I'm about to go into film school and stuff. I, I won't be able to work here anymore. And I kind of go, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I will tell you, having this job here and staying with us and growing with us is going to be more valuable to you than going to film school sure. and making some, you know, short films and stuff. Cause I promise you, we'll give you hands on and we're going to, you'll move up the ranks faster. So there is something to that, but at the same time, there's so much some of these film schools have that you have access to to learn about that is incredibly valuable. So I'm on the fence about film school. Yeah, and and like with us, we're we make it very clear to all like all of our employees and everything of like, do you have like, is there a piece of this that you're interested in? Like, you can put your hands in it and and you can learn about that. And like, we're very proud of the fact that we had two interns start with us like three years ago, and they've just slowly. Well, actually, not that slowly. Even just moved up the ranks of the company to where now one is uh, an editor on some projects, an assistant editor on other projects. The other one is our production manager. You have to be at like a like in the mailroom for like two years as, at an oh, agency. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but at the agency, you will make a lot of money, <laughs> right? Or, or or not ever. You'll have to wear a suit as and deliver mail, and then yeah, I guess. N- like there's not that many agents. Actually, out there. you know, Script Notes just interviewed an sure, agent, sure. and he said they asked him. He went to Harvard. He was a lawyer, and then <laughs> he wanted to become an agent, and he had to work in the mailroom. Um, wow. You know, so it's just like crazy who was working in the mailroom. Yeah, and everyone was like, you know, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, like the smartest people in the world, right. like literally handing out mail. 
And they asked him how many of the people that were in the mailroom with him that started, like, became agents. And it was, like, out of, like, 30 people or something. It was, like, just him and another guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's, yeah. I think that there's, like, I, I would say there's more value in going and finding a small company to PA for and be sure. a little league guy in than these huge ones thinking, well, if I get to the top of that company, I'm a billionaire. It's like, yeah, but that company's so big, they can pull from anywhere. And you know what they pull from? They pull from these small companies that have real all-stars mm-hmm. and you can grow faster in those little ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think like if you, if you do both, if you, you know, are a assistant PA to someone on a Steven Spielberg film or something, mm-hmm. and you get to see kind of what the biggest version of filmmaking is yeah and, and then, then you work somewhere where you also get to shoot and edit yeah. you know yeah you have and to if you're both. talented you'll find your way up no matter what listeners are going to kill me if i don't ask the question because i'm sure they all want to know what should someone do if they want to work for you guys right this seems like a, the coolest place to work <laughs> right what's the email? name of your company extra credit studios Okay. So if they want yeah. to earn some extra credit. Yeah. Ah, I see what you did there. On, I mean, literally, you could email us and you'd have a really good shot. I mean, we don't have – we when we try to find people, we either look in our local connections. One of our PAs we found on Tumblr. We like put a Tumblr ad out. We're like, <laughs> yeah. hey, looking for someone to come work and paint some sets. And oh. she came in, and now she's our production designer. She's a, our production, production manager. Uh, manager. Yeah. Yeah. So just do some Googling. Yeah. Reach out. Yeah, exactly. Um, you find yeah. us on Twitter. I've worked with two listeners from the show, and they both have been great. That's awesome. So nice. Two? Two. Yeah, Andy. yeah. Andy and Kevin. Kevin Mead. What's up, Kevin? He uh, uh, cut a cracked video I just did. Oh, cool. He's an editor, too. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah, like one of, one of the things that we value with our company is that somebody wants to work with us, whether it's on right. like on, on like a high level in terms of oh, this particular executive is excited about this project and wants to make this go. Or if it's on a level of, oh, this person knows our show and wants to work with us because they enjoy what we're doing, as opposed to, oh, this could look good on a resume or on a college transcript or whatever. We put a lot of value in, oh, this person wants to work with us, you know? And we're not hiring a lot. We don't have a lot of, we're not hiring a lot of people. That's for sure. sure. I don't want to put that out there. Like a million people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But but we do, we are always looking for like one or two people to come in and work with us. And, you know, uh, our big thing is it's okay if you're inexperienced certain things. Uh, We can teach you certain stuff. You know, we started inexperienced. I mean, we kind of got a lot of, we got a lot, a lot of lucky. We got very lucky early on and we didn't know what we were doing. And so I can appreciate someone coming in and not know what they're doing yeah, as long as they're excited. Yes, and especially if they if they want to make stuff. Like that that's a big thing for us is is we we like making stuff. And even when we were starting out, like a lot of the success that came of the show was because we just didn't know how to do things and so we we just taught ourselves or learned right. how to do it, you know? Like managing the whole social media for this show, we treated that like it was already a thing mm-hmm. before it was actually a thing. So when the YouTube viewers started showing up, then all of a sudden we were like, well, we know how to manage this social media and we can engage all of these people. And also they come to it and they, and it, to them, it looks like, Oh, this is an existing thing with people who know what the mm-hmm. hell they're doing. <laughs> so, so let's go back a little bit. You guys have posted your first video. Yep. Cause I think this is interesting and, and the, you know, the, the, the mythology of like, Oh, we posted a video and now we here we are with our own studio. It was always so right. fascinating to people. Did, like how did you get the word out? Like what were your views like? So the how fir- did how did it catch fire? Yeah, the first video there there were there were like kind of two inflection points. The first one was the first video got it somehow got its way to college humor mm-hmm. and I am bored. 
And, and when you say somehow got its way, like you sent it out to a million people, put it on Facebook, Twitter, anything? No. Or you I'm, just put it on I, YouTube and went to sleep? We, we, I mean, I'm sure that we shared it like on our personal social medias and everything, but those didn't have any kind of following or anything. Yeah, so especially we, not then. Yeah. So it was complete. We still have no idea how that got found. I mean, I Am Bored was the first thing that picked it up, and that was like an aggregator site. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those sites where people are just crawling the internet trying to like find funny things. And sharing it. And so, yeah, you know, I used to submit one of our listeners, Daniel Reiser, is always asking us to do an episode of like how to promote your stuff. Oh, yeah. And just one tiny tidbit is I had this list. I don't know if you had it too, but it was basically like 200 comedy video websites. Oh, wow. That you could, and links to their submission form or the person to email at, you know, comedy at huffingtonpost.com, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I am bored is like someone that I always submitted to. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, you can just make that list. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like all you do, like <laughs> just like, you know, search on each site that you've heard of and look for the, the contact info. Yeah, but yeah, has but. like what's nice about that list is like, oh, laughing squid. I would have never thought of them. Or like, right. what's well, that? Well, yeah. back in the day, people used to have blog rolls where they'd be like, oh, we're linking to all these other websites. Right. right. And so everyone was cross linked because that's how uh, search ranking worked. But you guys didn't do any of that. So that's that's so fascinating. Yeah, no, yeah, you we just got lucky. Someone found it. Yeah, somebody found it. So like that first video, the first week, I think did about like 30,000 views. And which we, is great. 30,000 views is great for like, thing. yeah, that's incredible. Oh, yeah, that that's how you know. Okay, this is it's not something just our right friends. here. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's right. exactly what it was. Is like, and the that's a baseball we, stadium. Yeah. The reason why we kept doing it was like, okay. It's one, it's incredibly difficult to make these episodes, and they do cost a little bit of money that we had to build since we weren't paying ourselves at sure. all. You didn't have a bunch of Barbies laying around? No. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the first episode wasn't even Barbies because they couldn't afford them. It would have been 12 <laughs> yeah. bucks a it doll. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. They were 99 cent store dolls. They cost me a buck a piece. And they were just literally the same exact doll with the different color hair each time. And I'm like, perfect. And, and we couldn't afford to like buy stands for them or anything. So we just, so we stuck their legs in styrofoam cups. Yeah. And that was the stand. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's atrocious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was, but it was a thing of like, we realized at this viewer number, these are not just our friends. There's mm-hmm. fans, literally mm-hmm. fans. So that's something to push forward to. What a gift, huh? Yeah. yeah. Like that's oh, amazing. So incredible. Yeah. To have people commenting on a video that is not like, <laughs> Oh, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. My buddy Jeff going, funny stuff, yeah. guys. Being yeah. like, this is amazing. I'm telling my friends. To me, the litmus mm-hmm. test is I don't think a video has gone, you know, has gone beyond my network until I start getting negative comments. And the oh, thumbs yeah. down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's when I know. Okay. <laughs> That's a very good point. It's not just people I know or bot views or whatever. Right, exactly. Right. Well, and so so we we had that point. And then after that, like, I mean, we spent two months kind of like, ginning the courage back up to to actually make another one because it was such an involved process the first time and also we didn't have any money so a friend of mine that we had come in and do a voice on the show lily vonnegut i called her up and i said i have this character it's the worst person in the history of the world i uh, you're the first person i thought of <laughs> and uh, we had her come in and do the voice of Brittany. and after that she saw what we were doing and was like what if I threw you guys a little bit of money and I produced the show? And so she put an investment into the show and that allowed us to like actually go out and buy dolls. Right. Barbie money. Basically. Exactly. We're not talking about a massive amount of money, but literally I had nothing to spend. Yeah. And I had less. Yeah. So <laughs> and how like, were you guys paying rent and stuff or just barely? Barely. I think at I, the time. Yeah. Uh, just before that, my car had like just been repossessed. Right. <laughs> 
And like, we were, we were, were on the edge. And I yeah, was, we I was in the middle of working 25 jobs over the course of 25 months. Was that like for a documentary? Of course, of course. <laughs> it was for, for, for a story. TED talk. Yep. As soon as I hit, as soon as I hit the twenty fifth job, I was like, I'm done. That was good. Now I got it. And you and Morgan Spurlock high fived each other. Exactly. And you were good. Yep. <laughs> so we we did the uh, we did the whole first season. We the the three of us kind of committed to ourselves and said, all right, we got something here. Let's make it its own channel, and let's commit to doing one full season. And Mark and I sat down and kind of sketched out what a season of this show would look like. We said, all right, 13 episodes. It'll end at prom. At some point in the middle, Deandra's going to get her arms ripped off. And we kind of, and we like soft broke the story of the season. Went through, did all of those. At the end of it, we had like, I think 450,000 views and like 4,500 subscribers. Which is a lot, but it wasn't like, the uh, the first episode had like two hundred thousand views, mm-hmm. so the next twelve episodes shared the next two hundred thousand. So it wasn't like growing exponentially. Like right. we were thinking, oh, this is this is the wave. We're about to ride the wave, and it just didn't quite happen. And we were like, oh, but that's actually like all web series. I bet even like right. high maintenance and stuff. Probably the first yeah a few episodes have millions of views, and the next high maintenance one. might be the exception, but certainly my web series. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only saw the first couple episodes of high maintenance. I was like, this is a good show. Never yeah. watched it again. Yeah, and so it was the thing of like, oh well. Maybe and it wasn't generating that much ad. Re- I mean, I think we at the end of the whole season we got like hundred bucks. Yeah, back it, it, like, it basically Whoa. it paid for itself. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it paid Lily back for her initial investment, and all through it we were treating it like it was a show and like it was a job with the way with the way that we were promoting it. You know, one unique thing that we did was we created social media accounts. Not for the show, but for the characters. Mm-hmm. So like Mackenzie had a Twitter, Brittany had a Facebook, Trisha had an Instagram, and we continually posted from those as if there was like this mm-hmm. huge audience for the show. And so then we took a hiatus so that you know to actually figure out if we wanted to keep doing this or whatever. We land on the idea that we're gonna do it and we're gonna do a Kickstarter to kind of get some money in there. Hopefully it it'll give Mark enough room that he can actually like take some time off of work to shoot this because we were putting episodes out every three weeks and you're shooting them like at your apartment exactly i was shooting i literally had to bring my landlord into my apartment and show her everything explain what was going on because my apartment was full of little girl toys and high price camera equipment <laughs> like it, if you look in the window yeah. you're like pedophile yeah yeah totally. pedophile <laughs> so, so you had the like i'm cool this is the yeah, situation i was like look at the web series i'm doing i'm gonna be here at night <laughs> yeah. late at night with these lights on and so yeah i was literally shooting it in my apartment or i'd shoot it like carla's apartment it was like where yeah. I could find a table exactly enough room for enough time so then during the hiatus like right at the moment we decided to do a kickstarter tumblr finds it and what happened was some kid on tumblr not like a celebrity or anything just a kid found the first episode shared it and then the next day it had been reblogged on tumblr 30,000 times and I'm this like, is after all 13 episodes are out. Exactly. exactly. After we haven't made Killer. something for months and we're yeah, like, yeah. Eh, we're, maybe we're done. We're not sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Mark and I were working in the same room and I go, hey, buddy, have you taken a look at Tumblr recently? And first I had to explain to him what Tumblr was. Yeah, he was like, there's no E? <laughs> oh, exactly right. I could not find it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then it kind of caught, t- it caught fire on there. And it was getting reblogged 30,000 times every day. Eventually, we got to the point where we were adding 10,000 YouTube subscribers every day. And then it started growing exponentially. Mm -hmm. Just so happened to be right at the moment that we were doing this Kickstarter. 
And like, so we put out our Kickstarter, I think we asked for like five grand and uh, we got that in the first day, ended up making 15 on the entire campaign. And that was enough money that Mark do the, Mark could animate full time Mm -hmm. and that could be his full time job. No, that was the entirety of season two. So can I get into the nitty gritty of this real quick? Yeah. Yeah. It's always in my career, this has always come up where it's like, I'm teamed up with someone, but I'm doing like 90% of the technical stuff and they're doing all the fun stuff with me (laughs) (laughs) writing and acting and promoting and talking to friends about it. And how do you decide, like, does all the money just go to Mark? No. How does that, how does that work? Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it basically, because I I mean, the way you've said it is like now Mark can quit his job. Right. Well, you don't quit your job. Right. I I was working in advertising at the time. Exactly. The agreement, at least in that early part was, I mean, we were all, all three of us, me, Carla and Lily all agreed to just be partners. We all own this for sure. Like three way. Three ways. Exactly. We all own the property, if you will. And then, so because the show, um, the majority of the production was done by me, I was shooting it, building the sets and editing it, which is the majority of everything. And then we did the recordings and stuff. So it was basically when enough money came in that one of us could take the job off. I was like, if I take my job off, I can do one episode a week. That'll generate more revenue. That'll be a bigger show. And so that's what we decided to do. And then it was like, once we start earning, so all the money went to paying me a very modest salary (laughs) to work on it. And then once the show started to grow more after that, once we started making a little bit more money, it was like, oh, now Carlo can take his time off. So now Carlo and me Mm -hmm. are working out full time for season three, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, cool. And I, I had the benefit of... And one of the reasons why most popular girls probably exist is because I had the coolest boss in the world at my advertising gig. And she sat me down once this thing started to take off. And she said to me, look, there are a lot of people here who this is going to be their job for the next 10 years. And that's great. And that's what they're supposed to do. You are not one of those people. And one day you're going to come into my office and you're going to say, I quit. And I'm going to be very sad. And I'm also going to be very happy. And I'm looking forward to that day. And whatever I have to do it's to the help. Ben Affleck speech. From right, exactly. <laughs> oh, shit. She inherited that. She copied that whole speech. Somebody Somebody that, that what's that from? From Good Will Hunting. He's like, someday I'm going to come oh, to that yeah, door. Yeah, and yeah. he won't be there. And that'll be the best day oh, of my yeah. life. Exactly. Uh, Wait, what were you doing in the, the advertising uh, right, Writing and editing copy for oh, cool. online ads. Uh, That's a pretty cool job. Yeah, it was, it was it was nice. I mean, it was mostly for like Google ads. So there wasn't a whole lot of like creativity. Yeah. But what it did do actually was it helped me get my reps in in terms of writing mm-hmm. because you're just writing like your 10,000 so, hours. Yeah, mean? exactly. Because you're, you're just writing so much. And like, even though it's not, there's not a real creative element to it, you're getting in your head the way that things sound the best. And also because I was kind of in charge of, you know, all the social media and all of the marketing for the show that allowed me to get really good at writing copy. And here's how you mm-hmm. get people to come to your thing. And here's how you, how you get yeah, people you're like to watch your show. Like a crash course in SEO and, exactly. right, and like what people click on and want to see. Right. And that, and I mean, that, that was a huge part of what I was doing at work. And then I would take it home and be like, all right, what are the keywords that we need to put in there? Cause, mm-hmm. cause the, and this was also at a time when like YouTube was very heavy on the SEO on the mm-hmm. tags, on making sure that like your video title matches your video description and like your link right. is in the is in like the middle line or whatever. Right. And, and for our listeners that don't know, SEO, search engine optimization, it's basically 
how to use words when you're posting videos or making websites or whatever to get people to find your stuff. Yeah, and the tricky thing with all that is that the the rules are always shifting. Exactly. Right? But we are lucky that now we live in an era where there's things like the YouTube playbook, which they always update. Right. right? right. Which that was a huge thing for like during one of the random 25 jobs I had, I was building websites out of this guy's garage in Santa Clarita there's a ton of downtime. And so like any chance that I get, I would just hop on that YouTube creator playbook, which at the time was just like this hidden PDF mm-hmm. of, of like, you didn't know a person who knew a person who had the link and you would go in there and it's just all their best practices. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at some point I think YouTube, because they were, you know, started by engineers, probably initially they were like trying to make sure people don't game the system. Right. Right. It's like, we're going to change the rules and we're going to not tell you how we're doing our things because we want it to be an even playing field. And then they realized now the people that have figured out our system are cheating the right at the top and everyone else is not succeeding. So let's just actually try to help people tell them what best practices are and how our search engine works and how to do this stuff. Right? Exactly. And it was also very much a thing of like going in there and being like, oh, okay, so these are the best things to do for like how to create a thumbnail. And so I would mm-hmm. sit there and teach myself Photoshop and be like, all right, you know, like teach myself, okay, how, how are we going to build a logo? How are we going to brand the show? How, you know, each, each episode thumbnail for each season, I ended up creating a unique theme for that of, of oh, like with, with the font, with, mm-hmm. whether it was capitalized what color palette we were using, all that kind of stuff. And that all kind of stemmed from that creator playbook. Right. When I first started on YouTube, you couldn't upload thumbnails. It was the center frame right, of the right. video was the thumbnail. And so you'd always try to get that frame to be like a girl with a lot of cleavage. <laughs> exactly. Or just insert a flash frame up. Yeah. Like, they yeah. won't care. Yeah. Yeah. Because like when we started, it was like just right after they had... Opened it was a big up deal. The, the custom thumbnails, and so our so, only partners in the beginning. Yeah, you used to have exactly. partners. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. a partner program. Where yeah. Like, oh, we're actually going to have channels, and you're going to have these abilities. It's yeah. so crazy that they were limiting. Like nowadays, it sounds absurd that they were limiting the way that you can present your work. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I remember being in a sketch group that, like, just every three months we would like apply to be apply for the partner program and cross our fingers and never get it. <laughs> yeah, because you used to have to have ten thousand subscribers to even become a partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the thing that's interesting for listeners, we always talk about just shoot it, go out, make it, make it, yeah. make it, make it. That's the point, right? Yeah. But you guys are living proof that it's not just shooting it, right? right. You have to figure out how to make a thumbnail, if, even if that means teaching yourself Photoshop. That right. means you have to learn how to do stop motion because you're making a stop motion show. Right. Like That means that you have to find the YouTube creator playbook. And I think that that instinct is the reason you guys have a studio now. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And 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 also like the big thing that happened, like when we talk about that, how Tumblr found it, the big thing we didn't mention in that is the reason it blew up is because our audience switched from people being from their twenty fives to thirty fives to being like fourteen to twenty one was mm-hmm. our audience our, like, overnight. Our audience it turned out our show was for younger people. Mm-hmm. It was these high school and our our show also turned from like fifty percent men, fifty percent women to eighty percent women. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't, and we didn't realize that our show was popular with young women. We don't know young girls. We weren't like sending it to their Facebook. Sure. So when they found it, and we took would get it in over, trouble for that. We would get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, for exactly. That. Yeah. yeah, that's what you warned your landlord about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like once we figured out, oh, that's our audience. We knew that's who to market to. Like all of a sudden, we were thinking about that as far as like what are the characters up to? Like well, that's who's paying attention. So like another thing is like no matter how good your thing is, if you don't know where your audience is and how to contact them, they're not going to see it. And paying attention is part of the overall idea of just shooting it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's one of the recurring themes in Hamlet? Oh, ooh, 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 call on me. Betrayal. 
Very good, very good. Okay, now, who can give me a good example of betrayal? Oh, um, when Hamlet sends Rosencrantz and Guildenstern on a boat to die. Exactly. Hamlet betrays his friends. Which is super fucked up because only a fucking dickhole betrays his friends. Well, maybe he wouldn't have if his friends weren't a bunch of selfish bitches who had already betrayed him in the first place. That's exactly right. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were going to betray Hamlet first. Well, maybe if Hamlet had known his place, instead of being a whiny little bitch, everything wouldn't have been so fucked up! Well, maybe if Rosencrantz and Guildenstern hadn't made out with the guy that Hamlet was in love with, like two skanky little cock wranglers, they wouldn't have got put on that fucking boat! That doesn't mean that Hamlet had to go and burn down an entire fucking mall and almost ruin fucking everything. And maybe if everyone would have chilled the fuck out, Ophelia would have still had her goddamn arms. Okay, I think we've moved a little off topic, but I love the energy, guys. Love the energy. I mean, now that you mention that, I do wonder if our audience thinks when we say, or when our show is called Just Shoot It, we don't mean like, that's all you got to do is shoot it, right? Oh, right. Maybe that's what people are. I shot it. I shot it. What's the problem? Now you have to edit it. And then don't wait. Yeah. Yeah. That's what just. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Go go make the thing, but also give the thing the respect that it deserves of treating it like a business and treating it like a commodity that it is and and treating it like it could be a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, a huge thing for us, like I was talking about, of like building all of our social media channels before there was an audience there. When the audience showed up, there was a net of infrastructure that mm-hmm. could then catch them. And so when they went to our channels and all of the channel art looked really nice and there was a clear, cohesive brand that they were tapping into, they were like, oh, these people know what they're doing. Right. That, that's yeah. the thing that I always tell people when they're starting YouTube channels is you have to convey the shorthand that you know what you know what you're doing and the audience is in good hands, that you're not just some schmo who just puts up random videos. Right, and I think that's consistent across all of our previous guests that have a similar story to you guys. It's crazy that you guys had that initial hit early on, but then you built that that experience for people so right. that when that next bump occurs, people have plenty to explore and to be hooked on. People don't get hooked on one video. They get hooked on a series and you built a series for them to explore. Yeah. And that's the other thing is like a lot of channels that we're friends with and stuff that struggle, they have like a plethora of videos, but they're all very different. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you may have somebody who loved that video, but they may not like your other ones. So you may want to think about how you're doing it. Like for most popular girls in school, we can't just put anything on that channel that they'll all love. It's gotta be that show or something pretty close to it. And that's something we definitely learned early on. It's like, that's an important, you're making a channel. It's supposed to be one thing. Yeah, my YouTube channel is a perfect example of what not to do. I have like a Twilight parody video and then a VFX tutorial. <laughs> well, and it's about, it, it, that's good too. I mean, especially in the beginning, you're experimenting to find what's your thing. You know, where do you have an audience? And if you right. find them, then you got to run after them. Right. Don't expect them to run after you. Absolutely. Hey guys, so we're actually going to turn this episode with Mark and Carlo into two episodes. They have so many interesting things to say, how they got into stop motion and how they pitched their shows and everything was so fascinating that we didn't want to cut anything out. So we're going to stop the episode right now and we are going to continue with the rest of our conversation on the next episode of Just Shoot It. So tune in next Thursday for the conclusion of Extra Credit Studios. Yeah, and in the meantime, feel free to email us or tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is Just Shoot It Pod. I'm at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. 
This episode was edited by Eric Rapo. Thanks, Eric. And our brand new music was provided by the Free Music Archive. The artist is Jazar. 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 That is a Jazar name. How Jazar. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.